0: Depending on whom you ask, nuclear energy is either seen as a potential savior from global warming or an environmental catastrophe waiting to happen. But there's growing interest in using something less dangerous and more abundant than uranium to power nuclear facilities, thorium. Richard Martin has been following thorium's potential for some time now. He is the author of a forthcoming book called Superfuel, Thorium, the Green Energy Source of the Future – he is the director of Pike Research, and alternative energy firm, and I'm pleased to welcome him to today's underreported segment. Hello.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Where on the periodic table would you find thorium?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. If you remember your high school physics, it's down on the bottom row along with the other heavy radioactive elements, including uranium and plutonium and so on.
0: Uh, Although it's very close to uranium on the periodic table, you write that it's almost as if thorium had a complementary or contrasting feature for every response or quality of uranium. In what ways?
1: Well, the way I put it is, You might think of uranium as the flamboyant and and domineering older brother to thorium, which is a more mild-mannered element. One of the ways in which that's true is uranium is fissile. In other words, if you pack enough of it into a small enough space, get a critical mass, it will begin a chain reaction. Um, Thorium you can't do that with. To cause a a chain reaction with thorium, you actually have to bombard it with neutrons from an external source At which time it actually transmutes into an isotope, a version of uranium, which is much safer and easier to handle than the standard uranium, which we currently burn in in most nuclear reactors today.
0: What is that external source?
1: It can be uh, one of several things. The main technology that I write about in the book is what's known as a lifter, and that's LFTR. It stands for liquid fluoride thorium reactor. And the real novel innovation of this technology is that you don't have solid fuel rods. It's a liquid fuel reactor where the core is actually a fluid, and it's kind of a radioactive cocktail in which the, the fission reactions take place. And so for a variety of safety reasons, that's much superior. For one thing, it's basically like a bathtub. You have a plug in the bottom. If something happens, if things get too hot, that plug melts. It drains into an underground uh, shielded chamber, and that's that. You don't have the problems of decay, heat, and steam explosion that have plagued reactors from uh, Three Mile Island to Fukushima.
0: Where is thorium found? Is it... um mined the way uranium is mined?
1: Well, at the present time, the answer is no, because there's not really a market for thorium. Um... Thorium is found everywhere. It's been said that if you are on a beach in Mumbai in India and you scoop up a handful of sand, you've got enough thorium to power the city for a year or so. That may be an exaggeration. But it's about as abundant as lead. It's four times as abundant as uranium. And the U.S. has plenty of it. Australia's got a lot of it. India's got a lot of it. But that's another advantage in that The market, once there is a market for thorium, it will be widespread, diffuse. You won't have the equivalent of Saudi Arabia in the thorium market, as it were.
0: Well, thorium is radioactive, so is it safe to handle? You you talked about scooping up a handful. Would I be causing myself some trouble in the future?
1: (laughs) Not at all. Um, You could sleep with it under your pillow and be perfectly safe.
0: I do, in fact, usually.
1: (laughs) You and many other people
0: Uh, but doesn't it transform into uranium-233?
1: Yes. and That's
0: pretty dangerous, isn't it?
1: It can be, yes. Um, one of the problems that the nuclear power industry has not solved, obviously, is the problem of nuclear waste. And as you probably know, the Obama administration has sort of a, a contradictory policy in that. It's pro-nuclear power, but anti-Yucca Mountain. And and certainly in the U.S., we have not solved the problem of what to do with nuclear waste. The thing about thorium, especially in these liquid fluoride reactors that I just described, is it does not totally eliminate, but it essentially solves the problem of waste. Um, the, The simplest way to put that is that the volume of the waste, the amount of stuff you have left over, is about... 10% 10% or so of what you get from a conventional reactor, and it, the half-life is much shorter. In other words, it, the radioactivity dies away in a much shorter time, over dozens of years rather than the thousands of years we're dealing with with the waste from conventional reactors.
0: So, this sounds pretty great. Uh, have have uh, reactors been proposed to harness thorium energy? Uh, would, could we just convert the, the reactors we already have?
1: Well, let me ask, answer the first part of that question first. Not only have re- reactors been proposed, but the United States in the 1960s built and ran what were then called molten salt reactors. And at first they ran on uranium, later they ran on thorium. And there was something called the molten salt reactor experiment that lasted for over a decade.
0: That was at Oak Ridge?
1: At Oak Ridge National Laboratory. But that project
0: was abandoned.
1: It was abandoned under the Nixon administration, and the reasons for that are complex. I spend about three chapters in the book explaining why. There's a simple uh, answer, which is not entirely accurate, which is that thorium is not very good for making bombs, and thorium reactors are not very good for producing the plutonium that we need for nuclear warheads. The longer answer is it's it's a perfect example of technological lock-in if you're familiar with that term and that's basically when forces like market forces and circumstance and personal preferences and politics et cetera determine what sort of technology gets established and used in a given market. The most famous case of that is probably Microsoft Windows. No one would argue that Windows is the perfect operating system, but because it became adopted widely by businesses. It became the de facto standard and now is in 90% of the personal computers. Same thing with uranium reactors. And we spent $8 billion, billion billion with a B, trying to build a breeder reactor at Clinch River, which is also in Tennessee near Oak Ridge, and never turned a shovel of dirt. And I've actually visited that site. It's right on the Clinch River in a beautiful part of central Tennessee. And it's just a big open field. And so U.S., and, and for the most part, the, thorium, the, the nuclear power industry worldwide, has spent billions and billions of dollars pursuing technologies that haven't worked out. And as a result, we're still using reactors that were essentially designed in the 50s and 60s.
0: We're talking about thorium, uh, a possible alternative to uranium to generate nuclear power with Richard Martin, who's director of Pike Research, uh, a leading clean energy firm. he His cover story in Wired about thorium inspired Google to launch a conference on thorium that led to several high-tech startups. Uh, you say that uh, these kinds of reactors can run practically forever. How is that possible?
1: Well, they are breeders, and I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining breeder reactor technology to you, but it's it's essentially a reactor that creates more fuel than it consumes. And you can do that with uranium, but it's very hard. And uranium requires high amounts of energy in the reactor core to successfully breed new fuel. With thorium, you can operate it in what nuclear technologists call the thermal spectrum, which means it's lower energy. It's easier to control. It's because it's happening in a, in a fluid. You can adjust it continuously. You don't have to shut down the reactor for maintenance and, and so on. And it, the upshot is it's much easier to breed new fuel in a, in a liquid fluoride reactor using thorium.
0: Are there any uh, dangerous aspects of this? Could a thorium plant spin out of control in the way that we saw at Fukushima and Chernobyl?
1: No. um, It's physically impossible. Think Again, going back to high school physics, think about what happens when a substance, particularly a fluid, heats up. It expands. When you expand, the fission reactions slow down. If you just think of a of a pool table with fewer balls on it, there's less chance of the balls colliding with each other. It's the same thing in a fluid. So there's a self-governing aspect to liquid fueled thorium reactors. The other thing is, um, as I explained, you can essentially drain it. Nuclear engineers like to talk about passive safety. The I don't know if you paid attention to the news a couple of weeks ago, but for the first time since the late 70s, the nuclear Regulatory commission approved a new reactor to be built in the United States, and it's called an it's a it's a model called an AP-1000, and it has quote passive unquote safety features, which supposedly will work even if all the power goes out, even if you can't get uh, external water into the site, et cetera, et cetera. There's a difference between passive safety and inherently safe, where it's simply because of the physics of and the technology of the reactor, you can't have a meltdown. There's nothing to melt down. There's no solid fuels to melt through the bottom of the core. There's no pressurized, huge pressurized buildings that can blow up, as happened at Chernobyl.
0: But doesn't it give off trace elements of uranium-232, which is very dangerous?
1: It can, yes. And let's, let's back up for a moment and talk about risk. I spend uh, the final chapter of the book talking a lot about risk. And Think back over the last few years, what sort of uh, accidents have we seen with fossil fuels, right? Deepwater Horizon in the Gulf of Mexico, the San Bruno, California explosion of a natural gas pipeline, which killed, I believe, three dozen people or so. Um, There's no energy source without risk, and you have to compare the risk of continuing to burn coal, continuing to run uh, vehicles on gas, et cetera, or continuing with, to build new uranium-based nuclear plants which, with the much, much lower risk of thorium-based plants. And I think once you look at it that way, you'll see that thorium, like any other technology, has some risks associated with it, but they are nowhere near the risks of a Chernobyl or a Fukushima Daiichi.
0: Have any environmentalists embraced the concept of thorium reactors?
1: They have. Um, there's you know, there's sort of a schism going on, is the way I would describe it, in the environmental movement between those who remain adamantly opposed to nuclear power, as, as you said up front, and those who have realized that we can't continue down the path that we're currently on, and renewables are not going to be They're not going to provide enough energy in the next 50 years to really slow or avoid catastrophic global warming. And so Patrick Moore, for instance, who was one of the founders of Greenpeace, has become a nuclear advocate, and he's been reviled by many in the environmental movement. Um, And I've spoken to a lot of people in the nuclear power industry itself, including the former president of the American Nuclear Society, who will tell you that... Thorium is inevitable. It's going to happen. It may not happen here first in the United States. It may happen in places like India or China, both of which already have well-funded R&D programs for thorium reactors underway. But I think we're seeing a shift in the environmental movement as people wake up to the fact that as much as we would like to run everything on wind and solar, et cetera, it's just not going to be there in enough volume and enough megawatts in the next few decades to really help us out of the predicament that we're in right now.
0: Wasn't thorium commonly used in the 19th century for lighting, and wasn't it something that Marie Curie experimented with?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, that's one of the things that I talk about that today very few people have heard of thorium, but the fact is, in the early Nuclear physics experiments by Curie and Ernest Rutherford, and so on, that really led to the uh, discovery of nuclear fission and the nuclear bomb and the nuclear power industry. Thorium played a huge role in many of those. And there's um, what was Marie
0: Curie trying to find out about it?
1: Marie Curie was trying to understand radiation. Right, which was accidentally discovered just as she was uh, a young scientist embarking on her career. And she was trying to understand the nature of it. And so what she discovered was that under certain conditions, thorium actually was more radioactive than uranium and was easier to detect and easier to work with and so on. And Ernest Rutherford discovered the way he discovered the transmutation of elements. In other words, the nuclear decay chain that transforms one element into another was basically working with thorium. And so it played a huge role in the early history of, of nuclear physics. And then it just kind of disappeared off the radar screen once World War II started, once the Manhattan Project started, and once we really shifted our attention uh, fully to uranium.
0: So is thorium not used in any products or technologies today?
1: It's used in a few, yes. Um, and, and thorium is almost always found in association with rare earths. Which are, as you probably know, the basis of many uh, high technology, clean energy uh, products that are that are really uh, finding markets today. Um, thorium has certain properties that make it ideal as a metal in certain high tech applications. It phosphoresces very readily, and so on. And so it's used in very specialized, highly uh, niched applications. But. Um, Because it's found in association with rare earths, it's produced now and essentially left in tailings in places like Inner Mongolia. China now dominates the rare earth industry, and they have huge mining operations in western China. And they're simply stockpiling it because they believe that down the road it's going to be valuable.
0: A listener, Tom, in California asks about permitting costs, how long it would take to bring a plant online um, would a uh, uh, this cost more than a conventional nuclear power plant to, to build because right now um, we you can't build them unless uh, the government actually subsidizes that and also about the cost per kilowatt versus natural gas
1: well Tom has asked a couple of really good questions I'm going to take the second one first um, right now natural gas is very very cheap and the reason we are not only building natural gas plants in this country to supply electricity but we're exporting natural gas is because right now it is the lowest cost per kilowatt source of electricity long-term natural gas emits carbon it's not as dirty as coal and it's not even as dirty as um, oil, but the fact is it is a fossil fuel that emits carbon.
0: And um, fracking has become a big controversial issue. Exactly,
1: exactly. So so the, you know, I'm all in favor of building natural gas plants as opposed to coal. Long term, I think we need to think in a broader sense about what's really going to be the basis of power generation going forward. And um, I think thorium has the potential. And as compared to other forms of nuclear power, you ask about permitting, which is also a very good question. Um, it would be almost impossible at this moment to get a thorium nuclear plant permitted by the NRC. That's just a fact of life. And that's why I said earlier, it's likely to happen. The, the, the thorium revival, if you will, is likely to happen in India, which is already announced that it is planning to build dozens of reactors and shift its full reactor fleet over the next couple of decades to thorium in places like China, which has a funded uh, thorium reactor program based on liquid fuels and so on. So I'm, I'm pessimistic about this happening in the U.S., partly because of those permitting issues. I'm very optimistic about thorium technology spreading
0: worldwide. And the resistance here is simply because of resistance against nuclear power or resistance from the existing nuclear power industry? There's plenty
1: of resistance from the existing nuclear power industry. I spoke to the CEO of Exelon, which is the biggest provider of nuclear power in this country. And he said, look, we're going to look at everything. We're, we're interested in thorium and we're aware of it and so on. But what we've got works really well. And the fact is uranium is cheap right now. And most people in the U S nuclear industry don't think it's going to become scarce. Plenty of people elsewhere disagree with that, but, um, Right now, the nuclear power establishment, as I call it, has no interest in in, uh, shifting to thorium and building thorium reactors.
0: Richard Martin's uh, forthcoming book is called Superfuel, Thorium, the Green Energy Source for the Future. It will be published by Macmillan. Thank you so much for talking with us today on our underreported segment.
1: Thanks very much.